We can learn a lot about democracy from American football. Let's tee it up and kick off on this Spirit of Leading podcast's commentary. I'm Garland McWaters. You know, football has become America's game. Men and women of all ages, all creeds and religions and political affiliations and occupations and walks of life, well, they tune in and turn on to cheer on their favorite team seven months out of the year, counting preseason. And the other five months, they're always talking about what happened in the previous season or they're hoping what's going to happen in the upcoming season that might be better than last year. We take our football seriously. Yeah, we take our football seriously, all right, and we even make up fantasy teams and play along, keeping track of the players that make up our fantasy teams. Moi aussi, I do it too with my family. Some fantasy football enthusiasts can tell you just about everything about almost every player in the league. Well, that's not me, as evidenced by my season. Uh, Well, where they played college football, I mean, the stats, uh, all from previous years, they know everything, which pro teams they've been with and playing playing for. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. Well, I'm not that serious of a fan, but I do enjoy it. But ask them to name their state representative or their mayor or their city council representative, and (laughs) more than likely, you're just going to get a blank stare. They go, huh? Well, why do I need to know them? Who cares? I mean, what difference does that make? Well, you know, I, I admit, I might be exaggerating just a little bit. But remember, fan is short for fanatic. But back to football. You know, I I could use any sport that's played seriously for this particular commentary, but I'm going to choose football for this example because almost every American can relate to it on some level, even if they're only casual observer of the game or they know someone who is is always talking about it we can kind of relate to our american football maybe more so than any other single sport and recently i uh, i interviewed a nfl referee on one of my podcasts you can go back and see that podcast with clay martin but the question is well what makes the game work what makes any game work but what makes american football work what makes it fun to watch and and what ruins the game? What makes football, football? A friend once described professional football years ago. I remember this. Years ago, he said, professional football, that's where 22 millionaires slam themselves into each other entirely for my entertainment. We love our football. And it's a big culture. It's a big thing in our pop culture. And our athletes sometimes earn these big, huge dollars, and they become celebrities in our pop culture, you know, at least for a few seasons, at least while they're playing the game. Well, you know, like I said earlier, I too am a big fan of American football and even basketball and other sports as well. But here's what I find consistent about any sports competition, whether you play against a team or you just play against uh, yourself, like in golf. The rules define the game. I'll repeat it. The rules define the game. How do you know what the game is and how you're supposed to play it? I mean, if you're playing checkers or chess or you know, a monopoly, the rules define the game. 
you play according to the rules. But for this podcast, we're just going to focus on American football, not get too confused with all these other analogies. But let's look at football. What are some things that rules define about the game itself? Well, first of all, it's played on a field of consistent size. Now, it doesn't make any difference what level of competition you go to, at least from maybe middle school on up. It's always played on a football field that's 100 yards in length, and it's got a certain width, and then the end zones are a certain depth. It's 10 yards in the end zone, so it's 120 yards long, I guess, the whole field. But it doesn't matter whether you're playing in the eighth grade or professional football, you know, in Arrowhead Stadium or Dallas Cowboy Stadium or wherever you are, the field's exactly the same, exactly the same size. And the yard lines, it's the same length. You know, a yard is a yard. And they play football in all kinds of weather conditions. Now, a lot of the stadiums are domed now, but uh, otherwise they, they play. You play the game, except, of course, if it's lightning or dangerous for the fans and so, so, so forth. They, they delay the game in those cases. There were some games that uh, the, the conditions were so bad, so extreme, that you wondered why people were sitting out there watching it, but they were. And the game of American football is played against the clock, as are many other sports. Four equal periods of playing time. And at the end of the game, wouldn't you know, the team with the most points on the scoreboard wins, even if it's only one point. You win by points. You don't win by how many first downs you make or how many yards you gained or any other measure of the game at all that we used to see how we're doing. You win by scoring the most points. And... In American football, both the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball can score points. All you have to do is get the ball somehow and advance across your opponent's goal line. That's a touchdown. Points. That's it. I've seen games where the opposing, the losing team out, outrushed the other team by hundreds of yards or more first downs, but they still lost because they didn't have as many points. Uh, rules describe how the teams score and how many points are awarded for various types of scoring. A touchdown gets six points in football, and the point after the touchdown gets one point if you kick it, and if you decide to not kick it or try to run or pass it in, you get two points. So that makes the game a little bit more interesting. Oh, I forgot the field goal. The field goal is three points no matter how, how long it is. If it's, you know, kick it from the 15-yard line, it's three yards. I mean, it's three points. You can kick it all the way across the field and make it still three points. Three points. Rules describe so many things. And the rules come from a certain place. A rules are determined by a rules committee. And the committee gets together off-season, and they decide what the rules are going to be for the upcoming season. There might be no rules changed, or they might decide to change some rule, uh, maybe for player safety uh, or to make the game more interesting. Uh, for example, the football, they might choose to say if you kick a, a field goal more than 50 yards away, you get an extra point for that. You get four points instead of three. It might make a difference in how, when you choose to kick a field goal or, or not. But sometimes they change for interest. Sometimes they change for player safety. Uh, for, there's no crackback blocking, which means you can't block from the back or below, below the legs on the line of scrimmage. Or you can't push in the back to block. Uh, you can't do certain kinds of things. It might hurt somebody. You can't target them or spear them with your helmet or try to injure them in some kind of way. So they have rules to help protect. Even, even quarterbacks are always very vulnerable, you know, by being rushed by a lot of very large people. 
uh, they try to protect them. There's even sportsmanship penalties. Like if you are a bad sport, you can be penalized for doing that. There's rules for how many players you can have on the field for offense and defense, equal numbers. Uh, there's, number, there's rules for what numbers you wear on your uniform for their position because the people on the field have to be able to recognize if you're an eligible receiver or a line blocker or whatever. Your size is one thing, but the number is the, what's important. And they have to keep up with people where people are. How they line up in reference to the line of scrimmage. On and on and on and on and on. When the play begins, as I said, when the center snaps the ball and when it's over, when the referee blows the whistle. So anyway, the game is played according to the rules, and everyone is responsible for knowing the rules, especially as it pertains to their play. And the coach has to adjust their game strategies according to the rules. They don't just get to make stuff up, you know, but they have to play their game within the rules that apply equally to both teams, both on offense and defense. Because the ethos of the game, the ethos of the game, what makes the game the game, it's in the rules and the spirit of competition under fair playing conditions for the competitors. That's why you have the rules. This is the game. This is the way we play it fairly. Everybody is accountable for the rules, no matter what your level of competition, your level of competition or your level of skill or expertise, whatever it might be, the same rules apply for the rookie as applies to the veteran. Everybody plays according to the same rules, period. You know, even in situations where there are lesser skilled or talented players go against the more elite players, particularly in college. Well, they know they're playing on the same field and they know they're playing under the same game conditions. They know they're playing according to the same rules, fairly applied, and everyone is answerable to the rules. They know they're going to probably get run over because they're not as talented or skilled. But the rules are the rules. You know, the rules are neutral in that respect. Everyone gets to do the very best they can and be answerable to the same rules, and they agree to them. But there's another team on the field that's equally important. They are the officiating team. I mentioned earlier I've interviewed an NFL referee who has also been a college referee, and, and, and by the way, he's also a basketball coach. So he kind of sees both sides of the issues. But anyway, the officiating team is the group that's responsible to make sure that all the players follow the rules because they don't always do that. And they throw a flag or they penalize the team when they see it. And so officials aren't just a bunch of guys running around out there going, oh, I think maybe you did something wrong. No, they know the rules of the game. They are the group that you go to to say, if there's any people on the field that absolutely have to know every aspect of the rules of the game and in every possible game situation, that's your officiating crew. They're responsible to know the rules. They're responsible to watch for infractions of the rules and to make sure everyone's playing fairly and that the game is decided by the competition of the players. In fact, they're judged. You know, they're evaluated. They're promoted or demoted according to their abilities to create a fair and safe playing environment where the outcome is based on this fair competition of the players and the abilities of the coaching staff to really get the players uh, ready to play and play a good game. Infractions, well, they call them like they see them. I see this, I call this. They practice over and over again, really watching for certain things to help them understand if an infraction has been made, what they're looking for. And they watch only the part of the field that they're responsible for. They don't watch the game. <laughs> They watch the part of the field and the play that's going on in the part of the field that they're responsible for. And now, you know, 
we've got instant replay, have had it for a long, long time to see if the officials got it right, to see if, uh, if they made the right call at the right time and they didn't do anything unfair, unfair even inadvertently. So they call it like they see it. And, and, you, and you don't want the officials be becoming the determinant of the outcome of a game to make a bad call. So we've even escalated our rules to the point that we can allow certain plays to be reviewed to see if their calls are, were, were right or if somehow they missed it or they just couldn't see what they saw because they were blocked by another player or something. But we kind of like the, the, the officials are the, the court and if you want to appeal, you can get another look at it. And they actually have, uh, they, meaning college and professionals, have officials in other places where they can see the, the, the replay. And they look and they say, okay, did they get it right? Or is there some reason that was so, that they just missed it and we can see it and we should overturn it. But they don't overturn it if, unless there's convincing proof. So, you know, we're doing our best to make sure that the game is fair that the rules are correctly interpreted and, collect and correctly called on the field. And we have a limited amount of time to appeal. If you think that, uh, on, in the professionals, for example, if you think that the play was wrong and you want to challenge the play, you can do it, but not, not, you can't go back four plays and say, I want to challenge that. We have to challenge the current play. Once the ball is snapped, it's over. It's done. You can't challenge it. And you only get a couple of those appeals during a game. So, you know, the rules, the rules, the rules, the rules. The rules matter. That's why we spend so much time with them. That's why we, we try to get to a place where we know that the rules are going to be properly understood, properly called, and appropriately, I guess, appealed if, if, if you think you need to. But when time runs out, when the game is over, you look at the scoreboard and you see who has the most points and they're the winner and it's over. Over. You don't get to go back and change the last game. No one goes back to change the score after the game is over. Can't do it. Even if there were flaws in the officiating, even later on if they go back and see someone missed something that would have made a difference if they had made the different call, the game is still over. It's over. Move on. Exactly. How is football like democracy? Democracy. A democracy is a system in which we live for determining how people are going to govern themselves, how we're going to rule ourselves as a country or as a community. And how democracy plays out is determined by, well, you kind of guessed it, we have rules. We write rules to say, okay, here's the way this is going to work. Rules are established at, at the federal level, or we call the national level, and also at the state level. Most of them are at the state level. And the states write the rules about how they're going to do elections in their state, and the federal government sort of establishes guidelines more than anything else. They say everybody gets to vote and who's, who's eligible and so forth. So they're overarching kind of rules, but the state does the nitty-gritty. And they do the elections. They hold the elections. There's no such thing as a federal election. They're all state elections to select 
people that we send to our federal government to represent us at the federal level. So who, who, who is eligible, though? That is kind of decided by the U.S. Constitution. Uh, who, who is eligible to, to vote, basically, and uh, who can be a candidate, and who can be the elector, the person who's eligible to vote? Let's talk about those. First of all, who gets to be electors? Who are, who are they? Who, who votes? And that's changed over time. Originally, you know, when our country passed its first constitution, voting was limited. Only white male citizens of a certain status were basically the electors. Not everybody got to vote. If you were a slave, you didn't vote. If you were a woman, you didn't vote. Well, that's changed over time. Now, all citizens, whether they were native-born in the United States or they were naturalized, they came over from, immigrated from other countries, and then according to our laws, became a naturalized citizen, and of a certain age, they vote. That's it. You can read everywhere you want to in the Constitution, but no longer are there economic requirements. You don't have to make a certain amount of money to vote. You can make nothing. There's no educational requirements. You don't have to go to school at all. You can vote. No health requirements. You don't have to be fit and fiddle. No moral requirements. You could be a, the most awful person <laughs> in the world as long as you're not a felon. You get to vote. There's no pedigree required, no, no lineage. I mean, no family tree that's preferred over another one. Everyone, everyone gets, guess how many? One, one, and only one vote per election. So when we elect elect someone, sometimes we have nominating elections, so you get to vote in that nominating election. Then you might vote in a runoff election, and then you vote in the general election. That's three chances to express your opinion about who's going to represent you, but it's in three different elections to get there. But you get one each time. One. Only one. Everyone gets one. I don't care if you're the richest man in the world, or you live on the streets and you have a an address someplace where they can send you a ballot or you can get a ballot or you're registered in a precinct, you get to vote. That's the democratic principle. One person, one vote, every vote counts one equally. Every citizen is eligible, eligible to vote, but you have to register. You have to let people know you're there so we can keep track and make sure it's fair. So you've got to show up at your election board or some wherever they're registering people and say this is who I am and this is where I live and this is this is where I want to be counted to vote what precinct and what district and so forth so they have to register and show that they are a citizen and an, a, a qualified elector in that respect you prove that show that and you're in those are the rules and <laughs> as we all know violating them can get you penalized you got to be careful about that you can't vote more than once you can't vote for somebody else. You know, you can't forge their ballots. You can't go through the line twice, change clothes and go through the line twice. Can't do that. A lot of things like that, you know. There are rules. There are rules. And the people who work the polls are responsible for making sure the rules are followed. And they give everybody who's, who demonstrates that they're eligible to vote in that precinct a ballot. They get to go mark their ballot. And they get to cast that ballot. That's the way it works. And we work hard on the integrity of that process. We work really, really hard on the integrity of that process, unless we don't care. And then we work on screwing it up as much as we can so it's as confusing as possible.
and disenfranchises people that we don't want to vote. That can happen. It has happened. It is happening. But the idea is the rules are the rules, and we write the rules, whatever they are, for the election cycle, and those are the rules. And each state might do it a little bit differently. That's their prerogative, but it has to be fair. And every vote has to count. Every citizen who is eligible should have the opportunity to register, and every registered citizen gets to vote, and every vote counts. Those are the rules. So, and we as citizens, we get to be in the game as part of the game. We are in the game if we're electors. Candidates make their appeal to us. They say, here's why I think you should vote for me, and then we decide. We decide which candidate's going to get our vote, our one and only one vote for that election. We get to make that choice. Even if your best friend disagrees with you vehemently, <laughs> they can. That's fine. But if you legally cast your vote in a legal election and it's legally counted, it counts. It counts for whoever you're for. You know, but <laughs> kind of like their drunk uncle watching the football game and mouthing off about all the, he doesn't know, never played the game. But he's always got an opinion, you know. And uh, well, we have some people who never really get in the game. They never go vote, but they always have opinions about how things are going. Well, that's okay, I guess. But they're not in the game. If you're not in the game and if you don't vote, you're just not in the game. You're not in the game. You're irrelevant to the outcome of the game if you don't cast a vote. In the United States of America, nearly half of the people who are eligible as citizens to vote don't bother. Politics is one activity that we do get to do together and we work hard at trying to make it fair and effective. Individual states carry out the elections and they get to set their rules for the process. I've already mentioned that. It varies from state to state. But the only relevant question is always that all citizens get their opportunity to participate in an equitable manner, in a fair manner. Or do the rule makers try to write rules that favors one class or set of electors over another? Or by the nature of the rules, disenfranchise certain electors by saying, oh yeah, well you can vote, but you got to walk 100 miles to do it on the last day, uphill, in the rain, barefoot. <laughs> that kind of thing, you know. Well, it doesn't happen that bad, but it's almost that bad. In some precincts, People breeze in and breeze out, no problem, vote and go. Other precincts, they stand in line for freaking hours to get the vote because there's not enough people to work the election there. Try to discourage them. Do you try and make the playing field fair? That's the playing field. Is the playing field fair? Or is it one size for one and another size for somebody else? Are there hidden obstacles in one and not in another? Are they, is, the, is the playing field fair? We insist on that. We insist on that in every other kind of sport. The rub becomes whenever every, that every citizen has, has an equal opportunity to register, or do we put barriers in place to make it more difficult or even impossible for some to do, the, to do it? That's what I was just saying about the playing field. You know, one procedural rule is consistent, though. 
There is a procedure rule that's consistent, and I agree with it 100%, is that a citizen must be associated with a voting district or a precinct where their vote is cast and counted. Right now, that's the simplest, best way we have of making sure we got the right people in the right place voting in the right elections that they qualify for, for the districts they live in. And if they can't, then, you know, we have a way of getting a ballot to them early, and they can mail it in, or they can take it to the, to the election board or someplace. It's appropriate and safe to do that. And uh, they vote absentee in keeping with state law. And law, the state law, can, just, can say, well, here's what an absentee ballot is and when you have to get it and where you take it back to and that kind of thing. That's, that's okay as long as it's reasonable and fair. And you, you can dis decide if people have done it correctly or not. But there's also a time limit. All votes have to be cast before the polls officially close in accordance with voting rules. And by cast... It means they have to be presented to the election board to be counted. If a citizen is in line to vote before the poll closes, well, guess what? They get to vote. And the reason I know this is that yours truly here is about to become, to experience his first election where I'm a poll worker. I decided that's the way I can serve my country. I can go be a poll worker. Our community was begging for poll workers. They were... They were running out of them. So I thought, well, I can do that. I'm going to go do that. So I signed up, and I went through the training. And in this next election, I'm going to be a poll worker. So my responsibility is to make sure that everyone who is in that line, when the polls close at 7 p.m., are accounted for, and they get to, to vote. But people who walk up later, they don't get to vote. <laughs> they don't get in. They don't do it. They don't get to. So they were very emphatic at our, at our training that that's got to be absolutely, that's got to be an absolute. When you're in line at 70, you vote, but if you're walking down the sidewalk and you're not there yet, it's like the door closed, sorry, can't do it. You're late. That's the rule. And I'm responsible for holding the rules. It's kind of like an official says, okay, you flinched on the line of scrimmage, but I'm not going to call illegal procedure on you this time because I know you really didn't mean it. That doesn't work. You've got to follow the rules, and someone has to be there to enforce the rules. And as a poll worker, mm, man, as much as I want to let that person sneak on up in that line, I'd love to do that, but guess what? I can't do it. Think about it. As a football fan, would you allow officials to favor one team over another or one competitor over another in plain view? How about giving one team extra downs to make a first down while telling the other team, ah, you, ha you don't have as many? You get fewer. You got to make it in three instead of four. Or that one, you get six instead of four. I think not. You wouldn't stand for it. That would not be fair. The rules say both teams get four downs to advance the ball, 10 yards, and keep possession. That's the rule. That's it. It's an absolute. Even if you only mention it, miss it by a fraction of an inch, if you're not the full 10 yards by a standard measure, you don't get it. You don't get it. As a fan, you would not stand for allowing one team to rough the passer and not call it on the other. As a fan, would you allow one team to score eight points for a touchdown instead of the six points allowed for the rules? I think I know the answer to that question. Also, do the rules vary by location? Is the game played the same way, the professional game played the same way in Cincinnati as, as it is in Los Angeles or Dallas or Minnesota or anyplace else? Does the rule, do the rules change because you're in a different stadium? No. 
They're consistent within the jurisdiction of the governing body making the rules. All professional games are played a certain way by a certain set of rules by the governing body. We know those are the rules when we go and take the field. Now, the game's changed over the years to create more fan interest. We've got conferences and leagues and championships and all kinds of ways to put people, uh, teams in a, in a situation where they can compete against each other and win a championship and go and have, win a national championship or a World Series or whatever it might be. All of those are add-ons for fan interest and for making more money. Who's, why, who's to blame them, you know? All of those are to make it more interesting for the fans. Even golf did that. You know, they went to this playoff thing at the end of the year for a whole lot of money. It's not just, season's not just over and everybody goes home. You got it through the playoffs, right? Golf does that. Football has playoffs. They have championships. They have all this other stuff because, no, it's good for business. It's good for interest in the game. But guess what? The rules for every one of those games in that conference, in that jurisdiction, are always exactly the same no matter where the game is played. The rules are the rules. The rules rule. In a democracy, the game is about electing the rule makers. Now, this is where this is, very, is a little bit different. What we're doing in our democracy is we are actually electing rule makers. We get to elect the decision makers who will make the rules that govern how we live, how we do business, how we run our lives. These rule makers are going to come together and they're going to say, well, we're going to make this happen or that happen and so forth. This is now the rule. This is the rule you live by until it's changed somehow later. Or it goes to a court, it goes to an arbitration area where the court says, listen, you know, the bigger, the bigger rules that govern the rule making are being violated. We call that our constitution. It's the big rule. And we say, we operate all of our subunits according to this. No matter which conference you play football, no matter which level of competition you play football, the rule of the game is the football field is 100 yards long and it's so, a certain number of yards wide. And the, and the end zones are certain. It's, it's the same everywhere in that game. It's the same everywhere. Some of the rules of play on the field might vary, but the rules, the rules that describe the field are the same. We're trying to do that in a democracy, and we do that with the Constitution. We say, by and large, here are the set of rules that aren't going to change. Here's what an elector is. Here's what you have to do to, 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 to qualify to, be, to hold an office, a federal office. At the state, you, sit your, you have your Constitution, and your Constitution decides how old you have to be to vote uh, or how old you have to be to hold office. The rule makers, this is the caveat, the rule makers govern so the rules are fair and all are concerned, uh, to all concerned. Uh, they craft the rules that show, f if they craft the rules that show favoritism to one group or a special interest over others, then we say that's not fair. It's like in football, making the rules apply to one team as opposed to another, or one conference as opposed to another if they play together. You play by the same rules in that game. Will the enforcers of the rule, will the enforcers of the rules be held accountable for fairly enforcing the rules. Those are, that's our courts in a democracy. The courts are the enforcers of the rules. And when they look at the rules and say, eh, you're trying to do rules that really are unfair. And you, know, you, have to, you have to scale back to something that's fair for everybody. You can't do that in your state. 
You can't make it impossible for certain people to vote or hard for some people to vote and not others because it needs to be fair in the states. So that's election laws. But back to my earlier point. In what sport would we allow the rule makers to make the rules that noticeably favor one team or conference or one position of a player over another in a game, in the same game? The answer is none. <laughs> none. It ruins the game for everyone. It ruins it for the players. It ruins it for the fans. It ruins it for the integrity of the game. It ruins it for everyone. There is no place where we would really allow that. And we must be committed to fair play, even in the game of politics, even when our favorite candidate gets fewer votes. That means we just go out and work harder at being part of the solution that elevates the quality of life for all. So the next time, next time when we get our say in the next round, we can compete fairly and freely to advocate our values and our ideals. We can try to sell those to more voters or get more voters who agree with that to show up and play. <laughs> In sports, when a team has a losing season, they don't, they don't, or they don't win the big championship, which they thought they would win. They don't go back. They just go back to the basics. They don't go back and relitigate the season and say the season was bogus. No, they go, they say, okay, what do we got to do to be better? They work on the fundamentals. They work on getting physically stronger. They work on getting mentally tougher. They work on concentration. They work on execution of plays. They work on, on getting better people to play on your team sometimes. The coaches work on strategy. They work on their players getting stronger and help them to improve. We don't relitigate the past season. We move on. And we don't try to win by getting better at gaming the rules. We know the rules and play the game fairly, and sometimes there is a little bit of loophole that they try and game. But we know when coaches stoop to that, when coaches and players stoop to gaming the rules, they're not respected. They're not respected among their peers. Oh, God, wouldn't he, wouldn't he really, you know, crafty? No, coaches and players who try to game the rules are not respected among their peers. Coaches never got a better coaching job by learning how to get around the rules. They get better coaching jobs by playing their best game within the agreed rules of the game, by putting their best team prepared as best as possible on the field to compete fairly, even against a much more talented opponent. In democracy, as in football, the rules make the game. Without clear rules that define the game, all athletic competitions will just deteriorate into a meaningless squabble. In a democracy, when rules no longer matter, the culture deteriorates into a survival of the fittest where fairness and liberty and justice for all are just relics of the past. It doesn't exist anymore. The game is no more. Every election, every election is an opportunity to keep the game alive and vibrant and working for the love of the game, for the love of democracy, for the love of freedom and justice for all, regardless of team affiliation. If you love democracy and the way of life it promises, understand the rules of the game. And remember, you're a player, not just a spectator. The United States of America is a democracy. No matter what anyone tries to tell you, the United States of America, top to bottom, is a democracy for now.
When we cease to be a democracy, we will no longer be the United States of America. We will be a relic of a bygone era where liberty and justice were all once ruled according to the rules. Keep our democracy alive. Be a player. Love the rules. Well, that's it for this installment of the Spirit of Leading podcast. I want to thank you for listening. I encourage you to appreciate anyone who demonstrates a spirit of leading at work and in the community. I want to encourage you to join the Empowered. And when you do, you'll get a notification of my latest podcast or the latest post in my weekly Empowering Thoughts series. I encourage you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. It's my opinion, but I hope you find found value in what I had to say. So until next time, I urge you to live in power each and every day by unleashing your creative energy. I encourage you to enliven the heart and enlighten the mind and encourage your spirit and enlarge the expectations of living in yourself and in others. I'm Garland McWaters. Thank you.